Welcome to another episode of the Good Enough Mother podcast. In this episode, I talk about what a good enough mother is. What is the concept? How do I interpret the concept? Obviously, it has been an inspiration behind the naming of this podcast. It's a term by Donald Winnicott. I know, though, it's a term that in my conversations with mothers, particularly those who identify in some capacity with being a perfectionist, as well as those who identify with having challenging relationships with their own mothers or mothering from a place of wanting to do differently to how they were mothered, how they were parented, who have a high value on mothering, who are interested in attachment parenting, conscious parenting, respectful parenting. Sometimes there can be a little bit of a retreat or a recoiling when we say the term good enough because it can sound like a settling, it can sound like a compensation a, well, if I can't be perfect, I guess I'll settle for good enough. And what I want to do in this episode is to challenge that a little bit. And in doing so, I share some research, but towards the end of the episode, I share some personal reflections and insights as to the ways in which I use or draw on good enough mothering as a concept in my own mothering. So I hope that you find this to be an interesting and and valuable reflection. As always, I'd love to hear your main takeaways from the episode. This is a re-release episode. I think it's a really important one to come back to, particularly when we're in periods or seasons of challenging our mothering where we feel as though we're failing or we're not doing a good enough job or we're feeling a sense of comparison really acutely to just come back and remind ourselves of the value of our children experiencing us in our full humanness and the ways that that gives them permission to be fully themselves as well and it's not a neat and tidy experience this experience of being a mother nor is anything that is part of our complex experience as human beings so I hope you take that as a reminder to be really kind and gentle to yourself and the energy that you're investing in these reflections and these considerations in and of itself shows your level of self-awareness, which I think is so valuable and important and such a gift to your child, to your children. So enjoy this episode. I think there are some big misconceptions around what the good enough mother means as both a concept and in the way that it is drawn on in the space of motherhood support. And so I want to clear up a few of these misunderstandings. And of course, this is my interpretation. It is certainly not saying this is the way that the concept must be interpreted, but I wanted to make really clear my position around the good enough mother, given the name of this podcast, and also the way that I use this theory and apply it both in my work and in my life. I thought it would be helpful to have an episode really clearly stating this and discussing some of the issues that can come up when thinking about this concept of the good enough mother. So I think the first thing to point out here is in the language that is used in good enough or just being enough. Language is subjective. It's open to interpretation, isn't it? And it is changing. It's flexible. And so I think that this is a good example of how context really matters when thinking about the way language is used. So if we were to think about being just good enough, what sort of connotations does that have? It can have connotation of settling, can't it? Like, I am going to be just good enough because I accept that I can't be the best at something. Who wants to be just good enough? Especially when you can be excellent, perfect, brilliant, exceptional, And so making do and being good enough 
can be another way interpreted as another way of saying we can't be the best at something. And look, I've talked with mothers about this as well. What our initial responses can be when hearing the phrase or a language of good enough mothering is like, okay, good enough might be okay for other parents, but not me. My standards are higher than that. My child deserves better than that. I will ensure and do everything that I can to ensure that I will never be just a good enough mother. I will be the absolute best mother that I can be and the best mother that is possible for my child because I will do anything for them. I will go to the ends of the earth for them. And if I have interpreted my childhood in any way as not being enough, then I am not going to settle or align for just good enough. And so I'm curious as to how you may relate or not to this type of language or response. And some of the women I work with say that they kind of start off with this response and then their curiosity leads them a little bit deeper and they start to uncover that it's a lot more complex than that. And that actually good enough mothering is not settling. It is, I believe, a way of mothering which will ensure not ensure nothing can be ensured in parenthood but personally I feel it's a way of mothering that offers us a level of freedom but for both ourselves and our children and I think it's an enormous gift to our children so let's explore and unpack this a little more the concept of the good enough mother it's a concept that was actually termed by pediatrician and psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott Winnicott phrased the good enough mother back in 1953 And so he observed in his work with mothers and their babies that they would attune to their baby's needs in quite responsive and attentive ways early on. So they were highly attuned as mothers early on. And he connects the process of mothering to the process of a child's cognitive development. So thinking about the ways that the primary carer or the mother, how important of a job and role she has, particularly in those early stages of development and during the newborn and early babyhood stage, We're doing our best to try and respond to and interpret their needs. And so in this early phase of mothering, and it's debatable as to how long this lasts for, whether we are just talking about newborn and early babyhood stage or if we're talking about kind of zero to three, but we're teaching our children that they're safe, that they will be responded to, that they will be cared for that we have a level of attunement to trying to meet their needs and interpret their needs. And so Winnicott noted that this level of attunement and the intensity of this type of responsivity is not sustainable. So particularly as a baby grows into toddlerhood and beyond and solidarity to anyone out there who is listening, who is in this place right now with your child, because sometimes they can reach toddlerhood and it's like they break the infatuation that we had with them as babies because our children, they need to see and experience their mother or their primary carer in their fullness. So not just one side of ourselves and that even if we yearn to and aim to be continually responsive and adaptive to their every need, wish and desire, We can't actually do that. We are not able to actually offer a level of responsivity that meets all of their needs. And the research really clearly shows this as well. I've talked about this in another episode before around Tronic et al's uh, research on responsivity and rupture and repair and saying that actually a third of the time is how much we're able to offer a connection with our children. So meet their needs, in other words. And therefore, most of the time we're in relationship with our children, it's in a phase of repair. So we're constantly 
not meeting their needs or letting them down or not being able to meet their yearning for a connection the first time. And Winnicott and others as well have expanded on this and say that actually it's quite important for children to have their primary carer or their mother fail them in tolerable ways regularly. I know the language of fail here can be quite inflammatory, but fail them in tolerable ways regularly in order to support their development and their resilience. And this can be really challenging to unpack in practical ways, because what does fail them actually mean? How far do we actually take that? And I was curious as well as to what the literature said around this. And I found a paper, it's called The Good Enough Parent Implications for Child Protection by Choti and Ekstrom 2014. And they discussed this, that there is this level of ambiguity around how the good enough mother or the good enough parent as a concept can be applied, particularly if, yes, we we take that it's a rejection of perfectionism. And I'm going to talk about that soon around the ways that actually intensive mothering and perfectionist standards of mothering are detrimental for our children and us as mothers. But if we say good enough, being a good enough mother means you can fail, what does that actually mean? And Sometimes I think it can be misinterpreted as a way of trying to explain away or minimize neglectful, harmful or parenting that is not responding or recognizing the needs of a child. And so I want to be really clear that good enough mothering, good enough parenting is not a way to minimize the impact of harmful parenting. And I know this can be difficult to untangle. In this paper by Chate and Ekstrom, where they talk about the implications for child protection, they made a good point that I thought I would share, which is that a model of good enough mothering is a way to be able to shift our focus from a deficit-based way of thinking in mothering to a strength-based way of thinking. So instead of focusing on all of the things that we're supposedly doing wrong, that we're not doing enough in, uh, that we feel are our weaknesses or things that we want to improve in, in our mothering. So often our focus is there. And that's why a lot of the time, many mothers spend a lot of their time in guilt because there's a focus on all of the things that we could be doing better. But good enough mothering is a way to shift focus to a strengths-based model, which is actually focusing on all the ways that we are enough, that we are doing a good enough job, that we are meeting our children's needs. And so that can be one way that this model is useful in the lens or perspective that it offers. And there's a quote here from this article, which says, a good enough parent may, in essence, be one who is willing to accept their limitations to seek help to change what they can and accept support for those areas that will remain deficient. By the way, I wouldn't use the language of deficient, but this is from this quote, how they frame the needs of the child and their motivation to keep working on meeting those needs speaks to efforts towards sustaining good enough. So in other words, from their perspective, Good enough is actually a parent's capacity to recognize where it is they would like to grow and improve in their practice of parenting, and they are willing to accept their limitations, look for support, and recognize that actually parenting and mothering is a constant place of 
growth. It provides us constant opportunities to reevaluate our values, to think about the application of our values and to grow ourselves as people. And this is why mothering can provide us such a painful catalyst into our own self-growth, personal development, introspection and reflective practices on who it is that we are, who it is that we want to be and the type of person we want to model for our children. Because we know that ultimately the way that we teach them isn't through what we say, it's through what we do. If we want to communicate a message or a way of being or a value to our children, it's not, yes, language is important, but it's not necessarily what we speak to them. It's not the phrases that we say. It's how we also speak to ourselves. That is critically important. And this modeling is way more powerful than anything that we can speak through teaching. So this is why sometimes I think that there is this gap that is missed in spaces where we're focusing a lot on the child's growth and the child's development, which, yeah, I mean, yes, this is important. There's certainly space for these conversations to happen. And I have them as well. The importance of recognizing biologically normal development for our children and the ways that we speak to them are incredibly important and can help make up their inner dialogue and inner voice and the way they speak to themselves. Yes, but it's not all about the child. We cannot think about and talk about the growth development and support of a baby and a child in separation with thinking about and talking about the support growth development of the person who's looking after them, the the parent or the parents, the mother, the primary caregiver. That is really, really important and it really matters. And I think that we need to actually insert the mother back into the mothering relationship. We are in what I believe is ironically both a child-centered model of mothering in that we're trained or expected to have an intensive focus on our children's development, what resources we're providing them, what opportunities we're providing them. And I say ironically, because I think on the one hand, there is this focus on an intensive kind of scrutiny on the way that we raise our children and it being child focused. But then on the other hand, I think particularly in mainstream spaces, there can also be a real dismissal of the child and seeing the child as this kind of homogenous entity, not kind of failing to recognize and remember that they are each individual, whole, unique people. They are not these blank slates that we get to write on. Yes, we have a critically important role in shaping who they are and the environments in which they live. But actually, if we were to shift our models to be child focused in intensive way, I also think that a lot of support structures would also really need to shift. So complex and probably another topic, but to make the point that actually an intensive focus only on the child and their development is to the detriment of the child, because we're forgetting and we're missing half of the picture, which is that of the support and development of the mother or the person who is spending the most amount of time and energy and resources and interests and emotional labor and mental labor in actually looking after this child in recognizing and responding to their needs. And so the reason why this can get complicated and the reason why I think sometimes there can be resistance to the concept of good enough mothering is that as women who become mothers, our worthiness has been linked to our performance of perfect motherhood. And so often our performance of perfect motherhood, so 
whether or not we're deemed to be a perfect mother, a good mother, or where on the scale we fall, often relies on the performance of our children. So what does it mean to be a good child? What does it mean to be a good baby? And think about that in in quite practical ways in terms of even the questions we're asked about our children. Are they a good sleeper? Are they a good eater? Commending them on their good manners. Are they good at sport? We're kind of also constantly placed in a lens of judgment. When I say we, I'm talking about socially. We're placed in a lens of judgment on our children and seeing where they fall according to a performance of idealized standards of what it means to be a good child or a good baby. And then that connects in with our performance of being a good mother or a perfect mother. And so when we feel as though our children don't live up to certain markers around their sleep or their behavior or what they eat or how they interact with people or however else it kind of manifests, then we can put the lens of focus back on us as mothers and say, what are we not doing right? So there is enormous pressure placed on our children and therefore placed on us. Or we could say it the other way. There's enormous pressure placed on us and therefore placed on our children. And so this is why in this kind of cultural environment and one which is plagued by kind of self-diagnosed perfectionism, then it can be really difficult and we can be quite resistant to the idea of embracing a good enough model of parenting because that may actually be giving away our power in being defined and earning our worthiness through our motherhood. So if we can't earn our worthiness through our motherhood, where do we turn to earn it? And for some, it can can manifest through relationship and the way we show up in partnerships and work, our career, paid work options. So ultimately, though, it's about a reconnection with self, isn't it? We don't earn our worthiness outside of ourselves. Our worthiness is inherent, but we're in an environment, a context, and we may have been raised in relationship where we've been constantly trained out of that recognition uh, and expected to prove ourselves constantly over and over and over. And so it can be tempting to think that good enough is just a platitude or a subtle way of saying and apologizing for the fact that we aren't perfect. You know, well, if I could be perfect, then I would, but I can't be, so I guess I'll be good enough. What I would say to you is that what being a good enough mother actually means, first is recognizing two things. One, there is no such thing as a perfect or ideal mum. There is no such thing according to the social construction of perfect motherhood, the patriarchal construction of motherhood that has been designed to keep women and mothers quiet in their place, anxious, feeling as though they are failing, feeling as though they are never good enough, feeling constantly bathed in guilt feeling ashamed, isolated, exhausted, and like they hold the weight of the world on their shoulders alone. And it's their fault if they can't carry it adequately. And so any woman that you look to, any mother that you look to, who you think has it all together and does it all and meets the constructed ideal of what it means to be a perfect mother, we're not seeing all sides of her. 
And that's actually not a criticism. The second and related to this is that failure is inevitable when you're trying to be the perfect mother. We don't have the option of being a perfect mother because the perfect mother doesn't exist. She's being created through a particular historical, social and cultural process and period. I talk about this in greater depth in my certification program, but Professor Andrea O'Reilly kind of traces back this concept of the perfect mother and looking at the shifts that occurred between the differences of the perfect wife or the perfect, yeah, the perfect homemaker and how it kind of has morphed into being the perfect mother that is one where we are intensively focused on the child, you know, intensive mothering ideology, because there didn't used to be this focus on constantly playing with our children and providing for our children and being there for our children. I kind of look at the experience of my grandmother, my dad's mom, who had six children and the way that she mothered those children it's really different to the ways that we put on a pedestal of what good mothering means today and so just a reminder that whoever we look at now or in the history generationally of our family and we think oh wow they had you know my grandmother had six children it's like how did they do it they were living in a completely different social context and it's not to say that one is harder than the other necessarily and we have lots of things that are really helpful for us now in managing our lives as mothers and in looking after our children but to recognize that actually we're human beings as mums and the perfect mother ideal the image that's put on a pedestal it's constructed to be human proof we can't actually meet it and there are costs to thinking that we can So there are costs to intensive mothering, to trying to live up to intensive mothering ideals or perfect mother myths. And the costs are really clear in the research. If we look at women who, mothers who embed and internalize the ideal of perfect motherhood around what it means to be a perfect mother and constantly doing it all, being it all, carrying the weight of the emotional load and labor, doing everything domestically as well, without help, feeling as though she's failing if she asks for help, thinking that she's failing her children if she doesn't devote all of her spare time and energy to playing with them and saying yes and responding to them and cooking from scratch and making sure that she works so that she's not financially dependent, but that she never puts work ahead of her children because remember, The perfect mother always puts her children first. She looks after herself and her body because that's what a perfect mother does. She makes time for self-care because she knows she has to in order to keep caring for her family. And if she doesn't do that, then that's just another thing that she isn't meeting on her list of things to do. All of that and more. Carrying all of that around and holding ourselves up to those idealized standards literally makes us sick. And the more that we embed and internalize and hold ourselves to these standards, the more guilt we will carry, the more we will feel like we are failing. And actually, in our pursuit to try and be this idealized, perfect mother, we are stripping our children of our presence. We're stripping our children of the opportunity to get to know their mother in her full humanness. 
And that doesn't mean we have to show our children all facets and all sides of ourselves. But it does mean that we don't need to feel guilty about showing our children that we sometimes don't get it right, that we sometimes can't do it all, that we sometimes take time for ourselves and that mummy comes first sometimes and that that's not taking away from you, my child, that is a gift to you because I'm going to model for you what it looks like to be a full human being who is doing her best, who is growing, who feels all of these different emotions. I can model for you what anger looks like in a healthy way. I can model for you what it looks like to fail and fall and get up and try again. I can model for you what it looks like to pursue my own dreams, interests, desires. I can model what it looks like for you to have dreams, interests and desires that don't have to be constructed wholly and fully in response to someone else's needs and wishes. Mothers are not just the containers to hold everyone else's stuff. But we've internalized intensive mothering expectations to such an extent that when we feel as though we're struggling and we can't do it all, or we yearn for something else, we feel guilty about that and we can make meaning out of that, that maybe we weren't meant to be a mother or maybe we're not good enough. Also, though, here, we have agency in this. Yes, we live in a society and a culture that socializes us into a particular way of being, thinking, acting, behaving, and we get disciplined when we fall outside of that. It's not just an internalized process that we put on ourselves. We get pushback from other people, from institutions, from culture, if we deviate outside of what the norm is expected to be. And so there are costs and consequences of pushing back. But remember, there are also costs and consequences of not. And so how do we draw on and pull on and recognize and voice and value our sense of agency as mothers in how we start to push back, we start by saying enough, enough, and I am enough. And we can say that I am enough while also saying, I strive to be a fuller, more alive version of who I am. We can hold both. And I actually think that when we start from a place of self-acceptance and recognition that we are inherently worthy and we don't need to earn our value through our mothering or through anything else, when we start from that place, I actually think that we can make a lot more progress in terms of our own personal growth and development because we are working towards, it's a strength-based perspective, kind of going back, back to that discussion of the good enough mother as a concept in the way it's applied in motherhood, we're focusing on our strengths and we're developing them. We're not looking to fill a void. We're not looking to try and earn something outside of ourselves that will get us to some point where we will finally be okay. And I thought it would be useful to share with you, and it may not, but I thought it might be useful to say that the reason why I have come to embrace good enough mothering as the way that I mother my own daughter in 
a personal application of this is actually because of how much I value motherhood. Mothering is the most important thing in my in my life. It's also one of the most challenging. But for all of these reasons that I just shared with you, that is why I embrace good enough mothering. I embrace good enough mothering because I actually do have really high standards when it comes to my expectation of what motherhood feels like and is going to mean for myself and my daughter. And so I know that might sound like a little bit of an oxymoron perhaps, but I wanted to share it with you because I thought maybe it would help hearing it from a personal perspective to know that the reason I embrace good enough mothering is not because it's a settling. It's because I know that doing so is an enormous gift to my daughter and it's an enormous gift to myself and therefore her. It allows for her development of self without feeling, I'll say completely burdened because I'm not, I'm not going to fool myself that, that I am completely able to apply theory in an effective way. I know that there will still be my own ego and wishes and wants and desires that are inserted into my daughter's growth and development. I recognize that, but I think striving for and living a way of good enough mothering helps to create some space for her development and her dreams to come about that don't have to depend on pleasing me because I have my own dreams. It releases her, hopefully, from a legacy that is chained to perfectionism because if I'm holding myself to these standards of perfectionism, then what am I holding her to? She's not going to be able to be perfect in her life. Nobody is. She's going to fall and fail and struggle. That's inevitable. That's what we get for being human. And so if I can model for her how to fall, how to repair, how to rise and how to repeat this process over and over, that's what resilience is. And for me, that's a really high value in my life and in my mothering is to be able to focus on our capacity for resilience and growth as human beings. I can show her what self-compassion looks like. I can teach empathy through giving and practicing empathy. So a practice of good enough mothering and a philosophy of good enough mothering in our own motherhood allows our children to be fully human because we're allowing ourselves to be fully human. Good enough mothering allows me to lean into and embrace the values that I choose to cultivate for myself and my daughter. So I see it as actually giving me a level of freedom and it's a level of freedom that's in contrast to the level of entrapment and constraining restriction that intensive mothering and perfect motherhood, I believe, creates. So to finish, being a good enough mother, it means we're doing our best most of the time. We're attentive, we're attuned, we're responsive, engaged and empathetic and loving a lot of the time. Okay, we do our best. We're clear on our values and we hold them close to us. But we know that there are times inevitably and usually almost guaranteed every day where we will disengage, we will distract, we will ignore, we will express frustration or irritation or annoyance or anger or apathy. We're not going to love every minute and that's okay. Good enough is serving your children. It shows them 
that we're not perfect mothers and therefore we can support them in becoming resilient and strong, curious, empathetic human beings. We show them that there are more parts to their mothers than the one-dimensional and quite frankly boring (laughs) image of what the perfect mother demonstrates. We show them that we're human beings and human beings who cultivate and have cultivated and will continue to try and cultivate strategies for resilience and growth in inherently imperfect worlds. We recognize that we're multidimensional, we're flawed, and we are real people and we are doing our best. We know that we make mistakes. We know how to apologize. We have the self-reflection and the courage to show up and apologize and model on how to do that. We know how to, and we strive to regulate our bodies and our emotions. We can recognize when we feel overwhelmed and angry, and we can move through that. We know how to express frustration and irritation and impatience authentically, but in a healthy and constructive way. We can model for them all the ways that we feel, that we fail, that we love, that we fall and we rise and we try again and we do the best we can with what we have at the time. We love our children more than anything in the world and it's because of this love. It's because of this love and because of how much we value mothering and because we want the best for our children that we accept our imperfections. And in doing so, we show our children not only do they not have to be these impossibly perfect human beings, but that we as their mothers will love and accept them for all of who they are, including their so-called imperfections. This is why it's a gift for them, because we release them from the pressure of trying to live up to these ideals when we show them that those ideals are false. So we show ourselves compassion and forgiveness in the same way that we hope others will show our children and ourselves compassion and forgiveness. The way that we want our children to experience compassion and receive forgiveness and to be able to get up and try again and settle into contentment also knowing that perhaps that's more fulfilling than the strive for constant happiness and the illusion of that. And to know that part of being a human being is about experiencing, living through and living with the full range of emotions, which come with the inevitable challenges and the joys that life brings. 